1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss, you guessed it, a single page, folks. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the King Cast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Very exciting episode of the show this week, gang. In fact, it's um, this is one I've been trying to get off the ground for the past couple of years. And after never quite finding the right person to pair with this particular topic, well, I finally realized that I was Twitter mutuals with the quote-unquote right person. Uh, she is a writer, editor, and video game scholar whose previous works include an anthology of interactive fiction and a collection of poetry. Her third book, a photographic retrospective of land parties in the 2000s, will be published later this year by Thames and Hudson. Today, she's here to talk to us about the very small world and unfortunate world of Stephen King video games. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ms. Merritt Kay. Merritt, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Well, we are very excited to have you. Like I said up front, this is this is an episode of the show I've been trying to do for a while. I know that these Stephen King video games are out there, but they're also all on outdated tech. You know, the, the mm-hmm, kind of shit that mm-hmm. Eric and I were probably both using as, as children to play like Monkey Island and shit. And, <laughs> right. You know, in order to play them now, you need to be very well, you need to be more tech savvy than either Vespi or I are. So my my struggle with this episode was finding a guest who would have the technical know how to find these games and play them and then talk to us about it. Um, and that seemed like something you were in a in a prime position to do. So first of all, thank you so much for doing that for us and then, you know, returning to uh, tell your tales about whatever you've discovered in the process. Yeah, no, no problem. I mean, I I am very much like into emulation and uh, it's something that I don't know if you saw this report that was put out by I forget the name of the organization. It's like the Video Game Preservation Society or something or Video Game History Society. Mm-hmm. But uh, they put out this report like a week or two ago that like 87 percent of games that came out before I want to say like 10 or 12 years ago are unplayable right now like the only way you can play them is through emulation and that's especially true for games that are based on licensed properties because bringing them to new consoles often involves making new deals with like the original rights holders so yeah you're not going to be able to play the lawnmower man on the virtual console (laughs) on switch anytime soon is that a big loss maybe not but but the point (laughs) remains it's history damn it Yeah. yeah there's a preservation angle there you know i i 
I'd love to go back and be able to like revisit some of the games that I played as a kid, you know, on modern hardware. Although, although I don't know if that's true because there's been a few like remasters or remakes or just ports of older Mm -hmm. games. Um, like, uh, Grim Fandango is a really good example Mm. of this. Are you familiar with that one? Okay. So that, that came out like a few years ago and I remember, um, being really excited about it and I downloaded it and started playing it and I just hated the way that it played like mm. um, with a controller, I guess, you know, yeah. uh, back when I would have played it as a kid, it would have been with a keyboard and a mouse, but I couldn't get into it. And I was like, this used to be one of my favorite games. And then the same thing happened with the day of the tentacle uh, when they right, released that yeah. one. So I don't know, maybe I'm looking at yeah. that through rose colored glasses, but I, the ones that I want to go back to are the ones that like, caused me to like throw my controller across the room back in the like <laughs> Sega the the I'm talking the original Sega not like Genesis like Sega oh like the Master Nintendo System Nintendo and yes yes yeah. yeah like there was like I remember playing an Alf game yes. <laughs> there was an Alf game for it and where you had to like go around and beat people up with like a, a French baguette or something notoriously bad uh, <laughs> and it Alf was game. Yeah. and it was so fucking hard and and like I remember being so excited because I, I loved it who what kid of the yeah, 80s didn't love Alf. Alf and and so I got so excited to play am I going to eat some cats like what's going to go on here <laughs> you know and then you're just running around a, a, a house with the fucking French baguette <laughs> trying to n- beat things unconscious or something I don't know what the hell and I'm like what what is this for, for starters and then like you die like within the first level every single time and I couldn't beat it so that's be the like it, it, is grown up me still as shitty at those games or those mm. games just built to be so frustratingly hard you know from yeah. from the outset like yeah I, i'd be curious from from that perspective to go back to visit some of those yeah I, that alf game's really weird too because all the enemies are uh, government agents but they're yeah. they're dressed as like 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 stranger danger guys and they walk towards you like grasping <laughs> their hands out in front of them like come here alf come here i'm not gonna hurt you like, who made this like <laughs> It's an, an unsavory tone to the Alf mm-hmm. game. Like. <laughs> those those older games were tough as shit though, because I I remember like I never got past the water level in fucking the Ninja Turtle game. I don't think. Yeah, oh, another notorious yeah, that's, that's, difficult game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Battle Toads. Yeah, well, fucking come are, on. Are there easy games from that era? Like I remember even playing like <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back Atari game and stuff, and like I couldn't oh, get sure. past the the ads at the beginning. You know, it's just like. Yeah, like, I, I think that ninety percent of the video games that I played, like maybe that's why I like love I grabbed on Doom so much because I felt like I could actually progress. And when they yeah. gave you like the God mode and all that stuff, where it's like I'm not scared of anything. I'm just going to go explore and look for hidden mm-hmm. rooms and and whatnot. Where it's like, oh, I can play this game for more than twenty minutes without uh, you know losing my goddamn eight year old mind. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The difficulty thing back then is is weird because there's like a lot of reasons for it. One is that, you know, they're trying to make games that seem like they're like, quote unquote, worth the money. And because Uh there's much harsher limitations on storage back then, you couldn't necessarily have like a sweeping narrative or like huge, beautiful vistas. So you make it take longer to beat by just making it more frustrating and difficult. (laughs) And there's also this issue in the late 80s and early 90s, which I didn't know about until a couple of years ago, where a lot of games that were imported from Japan were actually made much more difficult for American audiences because of the rental market. Mm. Um, Because Japan didn't have game rentals in the same way that we did because of a weird law that they have. 
But um, there, you know, people were concerned that like, oh, they'll just rent this game once and beat it. And what they wanted was like, mm-hmm. okay, if we have to have rentals, if we can't like legislate that out of existence, then we got to make the game hard enough that, you know, maybe they'll play it a bit and then buy it because they can't just beat it in one weekend. Right. Motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's scandalous. so many things going on. Yeah. Oh, my it's Lord. In- it's insane how much gaming has just changed. I-, I-, I want to approach gaming the way I do movies where like I still love Buster Keaton shorts, mm. right? And, and features like I love. Yeah old silent films i love you know quote unquote ancient movies these you know 20s 30s 40s screwball comedies like it's real fucking hard for me to go back and play any you know original game and and feel fulfilled by it like i don't the video games aren't aren't like movies in terms at least for me where it's Mm -hmm. hard for me to look back where i get excited to do that in cinema and with video games it's like no i i think i'm just really spoiled i'm 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 that asshole, like, when it comes to games, I'm that, like, movie asshole that only likes to watch the, you know, the Mission Impossibles or the Transformers <laughs> or whatever. Like, I want to yeah. see the biggest and best, you know, like, fuck those indie games, fuck whatever. It's like, I just want to, I want to be dropped in the Skyrim and, and lose myself sure. for 200 hours. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm very much a looking forward person when it comes to video games, which is odd because that's not the way I am with any other art form. Like, books, mm. music, movies, like, I... I love the older versions. I prefer the older versions, but I'm not that way with games. I wonder if, if there's like one, if I'm alone on there and two, if there's like a, a, a reason that can be pinpointed for that. Hard to say. So, I know. Mara, what were your, when you were growing up, like what, what was your shit? Like what games were you playing and like deeply in love with? Uh, so I had a super Nintendo. We were a Nintendo mm-hmm. household. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of boring, but like a lot of my answers are just sort of the games that at this point are kind of just recognized as kind of high points of the medium. I think I kind of came in, you know, I never had an NES or anything like that. And I think the Super Nintendo era was like a little more forgiving in a lot of ways because you were getting these like, uh, you know, fewer technical restraints. And so people were creating these big stories and these huge worlds. But games like um, A Link to the Past and Super Metroid were some of my favorites just because they did seem to, in in kind of the same way as you you were talking about Skyrim, um, of just, you know, being these like vast worlds that you can just lose yourself in and that always seem to have some kind of secret behind the next corner. Uh, Of course, there were some really terrible games back then, too. Like we had a... We had a a game based on the movie We're Back, a dinosaur story, <laughs> which was a a '90s animated film musical yeah, about di- dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, about dinosaurs who are made into intelligent, friendly creatures, and uh, that game was fucking terrible. It was unbelievably bad. That and um, we had the Rocketeer as well, which is a movie I still have not seen. But, oh uh, man, that game! You're like, oh cool, a jetpack! I want to fly around on a jetpack. That sounds fun. And I feel like I never got past the beginning of that game where you're just flying a plane around and racing <laughs> other planes right. in like the worst perspective ever put to uh, to a game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was just like a lot of the standard stuff. And then there were some weirder things later on. You know, like I got a Dreamcast and got into some weird like imported stuff. Um, there's a game called Breath of Fire Two that remains one of my favorites of all time despite the fact that it was a really badly localized and b uh really badly balanced it was like a 90s rpg where you had to grind constantly 
Mm -hmm. Um, But it was the first game I ever played that was about, like, literally about killing God. And that has become kind of a meme uh, in the, you know, (laughs) recent years of, like, that's Mm -hmm. what these games are about. But that was the first time I saw that. And, like, this game opens with a a huge menacing eye opening up and telling you to give yourself to God. And it's like, (laughs) what the hell is this? Like, this isn't (laughs) Mario. This is scary. Um, Yeah, I uh, never really had, like, a gaming PC when I was a kid. So I didn't really play a lot of that stuff. We did have some games here and there. And, like, I was definitely into the... Uh, multimedia like CD-ROM era and that's something mm-hmm. we're going to come back to when we talk about F13 but uh, <laughs> <laughs> because that was a whole era um, but uh, but yeah that's sort of my background with this stuff yeah, I, I don't I think that people like kids today who grew up with in the PlayStation and Xbox generation mm-hmm. um, quite understand that like weird mid nineties <laughs> zone for, for video games. Right. Yeah. Where, where it's like, you know, the N64 had kind of come and gone. Right. You know, there was a, I guess that we'd be in the GameCube era, right? In that, like in that early time. 2000s, yeah. But that's when like gaming just got fucking so weird in like, we weren't sure, getting yeah. these, these, these Mario brothers. We weren't getting these call of duties weren't established yet. Right. We weren't getting these giant, huge you know there was no Fortnite that was you know right y- uniting an entire generation right so it's is it so all these games are are bizarre it's like you know i i think of eternal darkness for the gamecube is like oh, sure yeah one of my all-time favorites where they were just fucking with you the whole whole t- way through it's like this lovecraftian game where it would like make it look like your tv volume was going down mm-hmm. like you sat on the remote or your controller was unplugged as your character was going mad you were also going crazy as the video game player it, it's they were taking these really <laughs> odd chances but that cd-rom era that you were talking about you would get your like i, I remember my family getting their computer and the most fun part of that for me uh, it was like the shitty you know hewlett packard or something that they got yeah they got yeah this, they got this like it came with a folder of CDs. You got the bundle, yeah. Everyone yeah. got upsold on the bundles in the nineties, and it was great because you got to go through all of these weird like software demos and stuff. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, here's a flight simulator on a CD. Here's a a, a Lucas Arts game, or here's this you know typing game, and here's all this other stuff. And then all of course, then like software and shit. But like that was the the most amazing thing to me, and I <laughs> so like yeah, it, I don't know. There, there's and when we get to f13 i got a lot to say about that shit because watching people play that like really hardcore like triggered some nostalgic memories Mm, for me uh, uh, of that era but um uh but yeah and and also particularly uh before we move on to the stephen king stuff i want to mention uh because i i didn't know that you had a, a book coming out about land parties and yeah yeah and they're I mean, we're talking in in the era that kind of got me back into gaming was the like Halo era mm. um, with, with Xbox. And and I some of my fondest memories of being, you know, in my early 20s, late teens. And I would go over to a friend's house. He had a two story house and we would do uh, do these land nights where we would uh, be playing halo on four different tvs in the house all connected Mm -hmm. right and we would be split screening each tv and so we had eight people you know playing (laughs) halo all this multiplayer halo with each other uh and keep in mind this is before it's like oh well you can just plug in and play with other people online no 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 if you wanted to play a multiplayer game you had to play it with people Mm -hmm. in the same house right uh, yeah uh, and, 
uh, and I, I will never forget that, like hearing, like ge- being a sniper or something and sniping somebody and then hearing from upstairs, like 40 feet away, they're, you know, screaming my name. You're like, yo, damn it. You know, you got me, blah, blah. you know, <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. There is nothing, nothing like it. And I listen, I don't want to go back. I love again. I look forward when it comes to video games. I love the convenience sure. of just, you know, vegging out on the couch and not having to do anything except <clears> to say, hey, everybody, let's do a raid in Destiny or let's kill this world boss and Diablo mm-hmm. 4 or whatever. You know, it's like, you know, to send a text. Uh, I don't miss those days, but I also super miss those days, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, there's yeah. like a lot that, you know, that you kind of lose when you go online and you stop playing with people in the same room. But it is also a lot more convenient. <laughs> and harder oh, to screen peek. That's true. That's true. When I was a kid, there was a place called uh, Floppy Joe's in a uh, <laughs> in in a um, like a shopping center. <clears throat> they rented you know computer games and uh, Nintendo games and shit. And um, I went in there one time to rent something, and uh, they'd opened up this room in the back that had like six computers in it, and there were people in there fucking around with something. Turned out they were playing Doom together. And, you know, it was all like, like you're talking about, it was all, you know, connected. And mm-hmm. um, so there were, I remember a summer where like me and my boys would fucking ride our bikes up there and play Doom in the same, like with, I, I can't describe how magical this felt like the first time you did mm-hmm. it, like to see the avatar mm-hmm. of your friend who's sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. It was just a really cool thing. I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but once you're over the hump of that, like, uh, I think it kind of loses some of the magic and there's none of that in, in console multiplayer. I don't think right. You know, mm-hmm. It feels so faceless and just, that was like an activity you, you got on your bike. You went to floppy Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> right. No well, more of that. This, yeah. There's the social aspect, but there's also, I don't know when, when, you know, I load up Fortnite, I'm getting my ass kicked by, you know, you know, some, some, you know, 12 year old kid, you know, that, that has the crazy reflexes. But when you're playing your friends, you could easily be the best player in your group. Right. Right. Every time I log on to like a destiny, you know, PVP or something, I just know it's going to be a, a frustrating nightmare scenario is somebody, (laughs) somebody can like whip, get instant headshots and you know, whatever. It's like, I'm not anywhere close to the best player when you take in the world, but but, you know, with my, with my dumb friends then hell yeah, I can stand a chance of of showing off, you know, a little bit. So Merritt, um, what is your Stephen King origin story? When did you first become aware of him? Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, people passing around a copy of Cujo when I was a kid, but I don't think I ever read it. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing that I actually saw, I think, or read was (laughs) uh, this mini series in 1999 called storm of the century. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) I uh, I remember it really distinctly because uh, I mean, it, it was really creepy and, uh, you know, I li- grew up in Canada and we didn't have HBO or anything. So, uh, there wasn't a lot of like horror stuff on TV. I was also a very easily frightened child. I didn't get into horror until I was in my late twenties actually. Um, but the other funny thing about it was that, uh, the villain, um, is, uh, I think the villain, maybe he's not, um, is played by this guy, Comfior. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was best known in Canada at the time. He's a Canadian actor. 
Uh, he's a Shakespearean actor, um, and uh, he is best known for playing Pierre Trudeau in mm-hmm. a CBC miniseries. And I guess it turns out that actually came out after Storm of the Century, but I must have seen it Storm of the Century like rerun or something a few years later because I was like, mm-hmm. "That's Pierre Trudeau." Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, that story is pretty creepy. It's kind of you know standard uh, kingish sort of stuff about uh, a small community having to face some kind of otherworldly horror and uh this wizard shows up and <laughs> like demanding wizard. that they give him a child uh or they'll you know or he'll kill everyone or make them kill themselves or something i don't remember mm. it in great detail but yeah. uh but yeah that was my first thing and i i guess i would have been yeah in my like early teens have you you said you came to horror later in life then yeah 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 um have you what what level of experience you have with uh, with other King movies? Like, are you do you watch them as they come out? You kind of ignore them because they're sort of a mixed bag. Like, what what's your yeah? How often I mean, are you watching these? I've seen a few here and there. Um, I don't think I've ever like sat down and because with you know I I, I think the only King book I've read is Misery, um, right on. which which I enjoyed a lot. Um, but typically with films, I'm much more drawn to directors than to the source material. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one reason why a lot of King adaptations are all over the road because they're made yeah. by so many different people. Um, but I have seen a few. Uh, Christine is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, um, It's just, you know, uh, I think on so many levels it's just uh, it's funny it's the effects are incredible uh, I love that because I've read summaries of the book and I love that that adaptation doesn't try to explain the car it's just like no we all know that <laughs> there is such a thing as an evil car we, we don't need to explain that it's this guy's soul and he sacrificed his wife or daughter or whatever no it's just a, it's just a shitty car yeah uh, I love that obviously the shining is you know, what can I say about that? Right. Um, it's a masterpiece. There are a bunch more on my list. So things like Maximum Overdrive. Uh, you know, I, oh, I have seen the Shawshank Redemption, kind of a, you know, not typical sort of King uh, movie, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I've seen a few here and there. Uh, there are a bunch more on my to watch list. Right on. Cool. What is your experience level with horror gaming? Like, are you a fan of it? Or not so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't kept up with horror games a lot over the past few years. I um feel like for me they really got associated with like with streamers <laughs> over the past decade right. of like yeah. the PewDiePie like over exaggerated screaming when a zombie pops out. Right, uh, right. And uh yeah, I, I was never like a five nights at Freddy's kind of person. I feel like I'm a little too old for that. That's very much targeting sort of a different demographic, but um, but Resident Evil Four actually is one of my favorite games of all time. Oh yeah, and uh, I think you know it's pretty well regarded generally. Um, that remake of it just came out. I haven't played that yet, but um, that series I think is really interesting too. Just it kind of invented the whole idea of a horror game. There were prior ones, uh, like there's a game on the Super Nintendo called Clock Tower. Yes. Uh, which which is really funny because it demonstrates Japan's like uh, 
kind of indifference to copyright uh, in a way that is very different from America's treatment of it, mm. because there is a character in Clock Tower who is just, um, God, what's her name? Uh, Jennifer. Jennifer um, Connolly. Jennifer Connolly. It, it's just her. Yeah, uh, straight like, up. It, it's exactly her from Phenomena. And mm-hmm. they're just like, I don't know. It's like, what? what's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> like, no one's going to get in trouble for this. Um, and there was actually also an NES adaptation of Sweet Home, which uh, I think the director of that went on to make the Resident Evil games, um, which were originally, I think, maybe supposed to be a remake of Sweet Home. But um, hmm. yeah, so I haven't played a lot of the horror games that are like, you know, just sort of uh, that. I would say the trend that started in like the late 2000s of like, you don't have weapons or anything. You're just totally yeah. wandering around. Yeah. Um, that shit drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't I think don't... it's fun if I can't fight back. Yeah. Um, and then obviously <clears throat> there's games that have like horror elements in them that use horror as an aesthetic that I really love. So Bloodborne, which I didn't actually play until last year. Oh, so uh, good. Is it, it blew me away. Um, and, uh, there's other horror games that I would like to get into more. I've never really dived into the Silent Hill series, but I have a lot of friends who hold that in really high esteem. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, so I I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with it. I uh, haven't kept up with it as much as, as some people I know, but, um, but yeah, I have I'm, sort of a, a broad <clears throat> understanding of it. I'm, I'm totally with you on that because like, I love a good horror game, but I feel like it's been a minute since I played a really good horror game and the ones that get really great reviews, like, <clears throat> you know, say amnesia, any of the amnesias yeah. really, or outlast or <clears throat> I don't know these games where, like you were saying, you, you don't have weapons and it's really, it's really just like a stealth hiding game, you know? Right. And that just, that's fun to fuck around with for like half an hour or so. And then I'm just like, all right, where's the shotgun? There's no shot. Oh, oh well, well, okay. <laughs> I'll turn on a game that does let me blast one of these monsters in the face, you know? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So, so I've kind of fallen off that bandwagon myself. I I can't even remember the, Oh, you know what though? That's not true. I, I'm currently playing a game called dredge. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, um, that came out not too long ago, right? Yeah, it is. It's uh, a Lovecraftian thing. You're like a a fishing kind of thing. It's yeah. like a fishing simulator, resource management, uh, Lovecraft game. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like a, this weird combination of elements that really shouldn't gel together, and it it somehow does. And it kind of in the um, when you're like riding around in the day on your boat, um, it's got almost like a spirit fairer um, uh, sure. feel to it. I am I'm fucking in love with this game. I I cannot stop monkeying around with it and uh just like exploring the the map. There's always like something tucked away in a corner and it's real fucking creepy and um yeah, strongly recommend that one. That one's really good, you know. Uh I guess you can't really do much fighting back in that one either, but you know, I, I completely I like ball the, of wax. I like those as like um a moment or a level or whatever, but you know, at some point, give me the ability to fight back. Like I'm not one of those <laughs> dudes that likes those hardcore modes on like resident evil has one or, or, uh, 
uh, Fallout. Like Fallout had one too, mm-hmm. where it's like if you don't eat every you know six hours or you don't drink <laughs> right. every six hours, your character dies. Because like I don't I don't play these games to play. Listen, I want them to be grounded, but I don't want realism. I want to yeah, right. yeah. I want to feel like I'm like getting stronger and building my character up. Like the opening of a uh, um, of Dead Space Two will always be like my ideal, where you start off and you're like in like a straight jacket or something where you're confined and you just have to run past all these mm. things that are trying to kill you. And if you don't run fast enough, you die and have to start over. Um, but like, that is thrilling to me, but like, you know what? The why, reason why that's thrilling is I get my plasma cutter in the next, the, uh-huh. next level, right? <laughs> yeah. the next point And then I can go like blast those limbs off and like, how dare you make me feel helpless at the beginning. And you know, you know, you, you get that little wish fulfillment, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with, I, there are people that love that like traditional survivalist kind of things and, you know, more power to them, but man, that ain't me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I don't have the patience for them a lot of the time. Right. So the, uh, the game titles that, that, uh, I approached you about were, um, the lawnmower man, the running man, uh, the dark half and Stephen King's, F13. Why don't we start with um, the Dark Half, which is an adventure game, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a classic point and click adventure game in the style of like a Monkey Island or those sorts of LucasArts games of uh, of the early 90s. Have you seen the Dark Half movie? I have not. <laughs> okay. So as I understand it, Dark Half the movie is about a writer who compulsively picks things up, doesn't carry any money or have a supply of paper <laughs> or cigarettes, despite the fact that he smokes, breaks into crime scenes, climbs into his therapist's office with a rope, and uh, like doesn't ever talk to his wife. Is that correct? Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that sounds, uh, that sounds remarkably different. From from the movie, <laughs> okay. the dark half's like uh, is an author, and he has a like an alter ego, like a, a pen name that he writes under, and uh, he decides to stop writing under that name, and uh, you know, quote unquote, kills off that that writer, you know, right, and uh, stages like a little. It's like you know when Stephen King was writing under Richard Bachman's name, right? Right. And, it's sort of he sort of based it on that, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Um, so they stage a little thing. The author stages a thing with like People Magazine, where there's like, you know, at a gravesite, we're burying this, you know, this alter ego. And uh, well, then the thing, the, the alter ego actually climbs out of the grave and comes after the author. And uh, that's the that's the gist of it. But um, how does how does it play? Like, is it is this a game that would be worth seeking out? <laughs> 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 oh my god this is um possibly the worst adventure game i've ever played really? and i will say i haven't played a ton of them played monkey mm-hmm. island played full throttle played oh, yeah. a bunch of other kinds of games like that and um god this game just all of the excesses of that and all of the problems of that genre of like illogical puzzles uh not explaining anything to you um just ending the game if you don't do this like series of byzantine uh operations they're all here um (laughs) basically the only positive things i can say about this game are has a pretty decent soundtrack which is by this guy rob wallace who also did i mean he did a ton of game soundtracks he isn't working games anymore but he did the soundtracks for the 
similarly terrible, but you know, decent soundtrack wise, uh, Mario edutainment games like Mario is missing and Mario's time machine, huh. uh, which I had on DOS when I was a kid and they were very disappointing and it looks okay. The cutscenes, especially they kind of look all right. Um, it's also a great premise for a game. Like it's like a cool idea, but just the well, execution he... here is awful. Well, is them is Tad Beaumont like is he like trying to what is it what what yeah. like he's just trying to escape? Um No, it's so the game starts and you're in the cemetery. Uh-huh. Uh and it, I guess it it's sort of after you did the burying him thing, but it's the middle of the night and no one else is out there. So like you're kind of just like, what is happening? And basically the structure of the game is that George Stark is killing people Mm -hmm. and trying to frame you for it uh, and leaving bits of evidence around that point to you. So what you have to do is basically hide that evidence or like conceal it. Otherwise the police will arrest you and you lose. (laughs) So it's kind of like a day by day structure where like every day, something happens you have to do certain things on each day or you get a bad ending um so like when it starts off you find like it has this thing too of like which is kind of cool and i'm sure at the time was kind of more interesting where stuff happens off screen like you'll be like moving from one room to another or one area to another and then you get a meanwhile and uh it's you know george start killing someone uh so the first guy you come across is this reporter uh, who has been killed with his own prosthetic leg. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess that's in the movie. That is the first thing that happens in that. Um, I believe I so. It's the first thing, but yeah. But it does. Okay, yeah. It's in there. And so you have to take, uh, there's like a, a bloody bottle of whiskey in the truck that I guess belongs to Tad, and he has to take that and hide it in his closet. Um. And then, you know, the police, the police still come by to your house every day and are like questioning you like uh, and you're like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was George Stark. <laughs> and they're like, oh, OK, well, we'll investigate that. Uh, that it sounds... couldn't be me. You didn't find a whiskey bottle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and you have to do this weird thing of like writing to advance the plot every day. And as I was joking about before, in order to do this. First of all, you have to smoke. He has to smoke before he can write. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't own cigarettes. You find a pile of cigarette butts at the beginning of the game, and you're smoking <laughs> those the whole game, which is really strange. What you're like a fuck? famous writer, and you can't afford cigarettes. Like, But the money thing comes back later on, too. But you also don't have paper. Um, he has this secret study in his house. Is that in the movie? Like behind a bookcase where he writes? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so they invented a lot of shit for this game. <laughs> he has a bookcase that you push aside and his study is in there and he goes in there and writes. And basically what happens is like you have to smoke a cigarette and you have to find a piece of paper somewhere during the day on the ground. And then you use that piece of paper and he writes something with pencil, but he's not like writing whole story. He's doing kind of like automatic writing where I think he's like tapping right. into George Stark. Right. And it's just like the sparrows, the sparrows. Um, and then that is somehow a clue uh, for the next day. Mm. Is that is that secret room in the movie, Eric? Did I just fuck that up? 
Uh, I think it might be. I, there's there's like that weird cabin. That's where the finale takes place in the movie when all the squirrels oh, right. like are pecking through, right? I don't remember it being like a hidden chamber kind of room, but it was like it was like a secluded library looking yeah. looking okay. place. Maybe they just didn't want to have an extra location or something. Right. They're like, now yeah. it'll just be like in his house. Um, but yeah, so weirdly, this game came out in '92, which is three years after the book and a year before the movie. But it's definitely based huh. on the movie because it uh, well has Orion Pictures in the uh, in the credits. Right. I think the movie was like uh, on the shelf for a couple of years. Am, am oh, okay. I mistaken there, Scott? I seem to remember. I don't remember know. That, I that don't was remember. one that was filmed and then like kind of like they hung on to it for a while. You know what? I can look it up while we continue the conversation. Well, that sometimes happens with game tie-ins. Um, you know, like someone will get a licensed property and they'll say this movie is coming out in, you know, two years. We need the game done by then. But then the movie doesn't come out for whatever reason. And so the movie, the game right. based on the movie comes out first. So that might've been what happened here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when they, the, the film was shot October, 1990 uh, until March of 1991. It was not released for two years okay. because of Orion pictures bleak financial situation at the time. Oh, wow. I yep. did this movie help with that or. Uh, it took in just over 10 million domestically, so I doubt it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. probably the game didn't help either. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. It was developed by Simtus, which is a company that seems to only have made one other game ever. Uh, oh, that was called Cybergenic Ranger Secret of the Seventh Planet. And, uh, yeah. And wait, it gets better because it was published by a company called Capstone Software. And they, they published a bunch of other adventure games but um, they also made a first-person shooter based on Tech War, on hmm. William Shatner's Tech War, uh, <laughs> okay. which is a property about William Shatner killing future drug dealers. <laughs> and uh, they also published games called Exotic Car Showroom and uh, Trump Castle, the ultimate casino gambling simulation. <laughs> and last but not least... A, a beat em up game for the Amiga CD32, which is famously one of the worst performing consoles of all time, called, or not called, but based on the movie Surf Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so they were really batting 100 here. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, just hearing you describe this game, though, like it, it, I'm getting like weird, like Alan Wake kind of vibes already. Like, yeah. it, it does sound like a really kind of fun premise. Uh, that you just said they kind of just fuck up the execution because I like the idea of you having to go around and like <laughs> steal evidence to, that's planted there. So you're being a criminal by like clearing your name in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I really uh, that actually is pretty sounds pretty fun to me, especially if you have to like sit down and write at a certain point because your character is a writer in order to progress the story. I can yeah. see there being a lot of fun with that. It's it is a I think it's a really cool idea and I guess they sort of diverge from the movie a bunch but um there's just strange stuff sometimes like George Stark starts basically taunting you and mm -hmm. it's just like there's one point where um the police have put Tad uh on house arrest because they're like fairly sure that he is committing crimes but don't have enough evidence to actually arrest him I guess and um Stark goes to New York and kills his agent and yeah. a bunch of cops mm -hmm. and leaves a note that like seems to incriminate him. But like 
the cops know that he was at home, but he like sneaks out of the house to go to New York to steal the note and then come back to his house. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) why are you doing this? And the whole time there's like, he has this, uh, I guess, a therapist who like this character is not introduced until the first time you talk to her. And it's just like, oh, we all know who this is. Um, And to, to talk to the therapist because she's like, in what seems like a university building, uh, you can't go in the front door because there's cops everywhere. So you have to like throw a rope over a tree branch and climb into her window. And then she's like, she's just like, oh yeah, no, I know George Stark is real. I instantly believe you. And um, the sparrows are the arbiters of life and death or they're psychopomps. Mm -hmm. And you and George are fighting for control of one life and it's unnatural, but you have to like outlast him and then sparrows will come and, and gobble him up to hell. I can't even describe the minutia of it. Cause it's so many just like, like at one point you go into a diner and you have to move a booth cushion to find some quarters, which you need later on because you have to call your wife to tell her that George is coming to the house. But it's Mm. like you don't have quarters or like there's a part where you have to buy film to take some pictures and to get the money, you have to break into it's like you go to the uh, not the reporter, this drifter guy who is, I think, originally going to like be like, I know you're George Stark and I'm going to tell everyone, which is why Tad like reveals that. Um, So he gets murdered. You go to his place and you find a strong box in his closet and you have to find a gun and a pillow to shoot it open without making a loud noise. And then there's money in there and you use the money to buy a six dollar roll of film. <laughs> like, yeah, that's really convoluted. It's really convoluted. It makes very little sense. Um, and yeah, the ending, I'm not sure how accurate the ending is to the movie, but basically, you know, you. Well, first of all, George has like barricaded himself in the secret room and to get in, you have to make a Molotov cocktail out of the whiskey bottle that you got at the very beginning of the game Mm -hmm. and then throw it at the bookcase. And I was like, oh, so you like burn the house down and George dies in it. That's kind of symbolic, I guess. No, it explodes the bookcase open (laughs) and then you walk inside and then you sit down at the desk across from him and have to distract him and replace his sharp razor with a dull razor. Um, because he's like, you got to write a story. You got to help me write this new mean machine story. Uh, and if you do it bad, I'm going to cut you with my razor and you have to replace <laughs> it with a dull razor. So he can't kill you. Um, and you have to just keep feeding him like bullshit things that the character would never do. Uh, and he just gets pissed at you and tries cutting you with a razor, but can't. And then eventually the sparrows just like explode through the wall and take him away. <laughs> um, that's close to the how the thing ends, but I, I don't remember there being a cutting thing. It's like the he kidnaps the du- uh, Tad's family, and it's like essentially they have like a writing competition to show who is the the one that has the, oh. the most ability to or or who has earned the ability to live the most. Like so, essentially the two personalities are like which one actually has the talent. And I'm going to prove right. it to you here. Um, and so huh. it's a little bit of a, I don't know, it, it has that air of, of like those like devil went down to Georgia, you know, yeah. competition for the soul, you know, thing. And then Tad ultimately wins. And when he wins, uh, Stark gets eaten by by all the sparrows. Yeah, it's mm. a super dynamic thing to have in the third act of your horror movie is a writing competition. <laughs> and that, that's that's the sort of thing that people that that puts asses in seats. 
you know? Absolutely. Uh, I can see that being a really fun mechanic though, for like, um, I don't know, like a, a dialogue tree heavy yeah, story yeah. where it's like, where you have to create the story out of like four or five sure. options mm-hmm. and like, you know, just dynamically you can figure out like which, which story is, is the better one and see if you win. Like, I kind of liked the way this ended because, I mean, it's not like that. It's basically, like, what you've been told by the therapist is, like, right now, like, Tad is stronger than George. And, like, when the Sparrows get here, because they're on their way, they will take away whichever one is is weaker. And right. George is weaker right now, and he doesn't know about the Sparrows for some reason. And um, But if you help him write a good story, then it makes him more powerful. So you have to, like, mm. purposely pick the things that the character like wouldn't that make the character look stupid or that don't right. fit in with, but it's like also like, I'm not sure how you would know that if you're playing this, like unless you had like read the book and hmm. like, like how would you know what the characteristics of this, like which options were in character or not for this right. fictional right. character within a fictional game is very confusing. Right. Huh. Bad. Avoid yeah, this game. <laughs> Do not play it. I mean, you can play it. Um, it's. I mean, it played in DOS, so you have to run it in DOS box, or uh, you can try to play it on an abandonware site. But I feel like it doesn't run very well in a browser. Like it just hanged for me, so I had to actually do DOS box. But all right, yeah. Good to know. I'm never going to be able to figure out how to do that, but but good to know. <laughs> nor, nor would I go through the trouble for, for that game. But um, you were not alone in your in your reaction to this. In fact, um, if you look this game up on Wikipedia, uh, there's a there's a review from Computer Gaming World, um, mm. and that here's a quote. Uh, In brief, everything that made the dark half an exceptional novel is missing from the game, as is anything that might have made the game an exceptional game in its own right. The dark half is not only a bad game, it is easily one of the worst games I have played in the last 10 years, on top of which it is an insult to a fine work by one of our most underappreciated authors. And here's like, well, Well, this would have been early 90s, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, King didn't have the. He, he didn't command the respect. Like, kind of trashy, or yeah, yeah he's definitely yeah. a populist. Like, yeah, okay, sold yeah. books, but he's he he yeah. The critical establishment would definitely poo pooed him, and I think we kind of traced it back to almost to the release of Shawshank as a movie. Mm. Not the not the novella, but you know Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, but the movie adaptation that almost seems to be that like ninety four ninety five right. era where suddenly he became just you know. America's greatest living author, right? Right, right? In in the the critical establishment changed in that thing. Maybe it was a passing of the old guard, and all the newer critics were all yeah. the people that grew up reading him. Like there could be multiple facets to it, but like mm-hmm. in this early '90s era, that's not too out of the realm or out of the box okay, to, to call him underappreciated, at least uh, critically. And yeah. just a fun little side fact to that quote that I read: the author of that review is Charles Ardai, um, no, who no shit. Yeah, who um, our listeners might know as um, the founder of Hard Case Crime Books, which uh, merit like there's a very, very small uh, indie publishing company called Hard Case Crime. And they release these kind of pulpy noir, you know, Mm. uh, uh, novels. And King has written a couple of uh, little crime novels for them. And Charles Ardai, like. Well, like has I think he said, like, you know, if were it not for 
King writing for us and for us selling that many of the copies of mm-hmm. his books, you know, we might not have survived. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's wild to see his name coming up in wow. connection to this of all. <laughs> Small oh. world. Huh. Hey, welcome to the mid-roll ad read, everybody. We here at the KingCast are huge collectors of pop culture memorabilia. I know I have way too many nerdy toys sitting around on my shelves. You know what? They're kind of naked because they're just standing on the, the empty bare shelves. They are you on display. Of, hold on, I'm sorry. You have a bunch of naked statues i don't have naked room? statues they feel naked you just said they're, they're just, naked they're kind of naked because they're just stand they're fully clothed but they're just uh-huh. kind of standing there on the shelf like loincloth no fancy like, background what you... like what am i working with here yeah what kind of clothes are we talking we got uh i'm looking right now to snake pliskin he is wearing his nice little kind of tank top number uh you know with the arctic camo pants uh, I see a Marty McFly. I don't believe, I don't, I don't believe you. you. You talked about them being naked. You know, let's get on with the ad read. Let's get on with the ad read. My point being is sometimes you have action figures and they are just kind of standing there or you're one of those monsters that keeps them in boxes, uh, you know, to preserve the value. We've all seen the toy stories. We know how bad that ends up for the toys. Don't do that to your toys. Let them free. Uh, and that's where our sponsor, Scapes Action Figure Displays, comes in. They build personalized displays for your action figures. This shop has a major selection of movie and action figure accessories from damaged skulls to light up kryptonite from Pennywise to the Terminator, from Batman to Bane. You have to see for yourself what the shop has to offer. Folks, do you have a Batman or a Superman action figure? Are yes. they just, uh, do you, how many do you have? Do you have like a little I army don't. of them? I don't honestly. Okay. Yeah. I didn't figure you as a Batman action figure guy. I know you're way more in the flash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you you know you'll just display them nakedly like i do or you will have them stored in a storage container or just kicked under a bed don't do that to batman secure his fate as the overseer of justice with the batman rooftop action figure display do you have a copy of the shining that i know you do have yeah Uh, alone on the shelf you can add the red rum door to add character to your library the pennywise in the sewer is also nothing to chuckle at there's lots of Stephen King <laughs> shit over there. There's some Carrie stuff. There's some Pet Cemetery stuff, the aforementioned Shining stuff, and the It stuff. If you have a Pennywise figure, now you can put him in his sewer where he belongs, not just sitting on your bookshelf. You can see all these items and more, including costumes and digital art, at etsy.com slash shop slash scapes figures. Or you can search for action figure displays on Etsy. That works too. Once again, that's etsy.com slash shop slash scapes figures. And if you mention King 15, that's K-I-N-G 1-5, you can get 15% off your order. Let's get back to the show. Let's do it. So the next two games are both platformers, Lawnmower mm-hmm. Man and... Uh, the running man. Did you have a, did you have a preference here? Yeah. I mean, the lawnmower man is uh, far and above the better of the two games. Um, Go on. It's uh, so yeah, the lawnmower man, this is the game I remember seeing uh, at the video store. And uh, it's the cover scared me a lot because I think it's the same as the movie poster. It's like that psychedelic face like the VR face of yeah. uh, Job. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like this really scary grin. Um, so this came out in 93 
And the movie came out in 92, so it actually came out after. Right. And uh, I actually had played this game before. Uh, I didn't get very far the first time, though. I played it on a stream uh, a couple of years ago when I was doing just these, like, you know, kind of lousy game streams. But I think this is better than I gave it credit for. Uh, It's really ambitious for a 90s licensed game because this is the era when you're getting just, just utter garbage. Just, like, there were some companies or some developers that were putting out really great licensed games so like konami Mm -hmm. and capcom uh like the capcom disney games of the 80s and 90s were really good and uh you know there were some pretty decent batman games uh and uh like there were some but for the most part licensed games were pretty well known as even back then as like you know, trash not going to be good. Yeah. yeah. It's just, they're trying to sell based on brand recognition. Right. Um, for some reason though, this was like, it goes way beyond. You're like, Oh, it's like a run and jump. You shoot stuff. Okay, sure. Like it starts off that way. The first level of this game is you're like in a virtual reality world, which kind of looks like the suburbs and you're shooting guys with lasers and you're running around uh, trying to collect certain objects and um, then like it is not the best side scrolling shooter on the Super Nintendo. There's a fair amount of comp. This is no Contra 3. I'll say that <laughs> um, <laughs> it plays more like Turrican. If you've ever played those games, the old shooters, but kind of awkward, kind of hard to control, but playable. Uh, but once you go through that first side scrolling sequence, it goes into this first person flying section where like it looks like you're flying like Superman. And again, I haven't seen the movie, but <laughs> you're like, you have these like hands out in front of you and you're flying through these spaces that kind of look like Star Fox on the Super Nintendo. Right. right. Uh, which is like really weird. And then finally, there's like another kind of gameplay style where it's like a, a third person flying rail shooter type of thing. Uh, when you're what on like a little fuck? weird virtual hand glider or something like it's, it's really hard and pretty frustrating, but they didn't have to go this hard on like, like they could have just stuck with a 2d thing, but apparently they were like, no, 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 we want to do virtual reality type stuff. It's going to be really cool. And um, it's two player co-op in the running gun parts, which is kind of rare. Um, this, I guess the first character plays as Pierce Brosnan and the second character is, uh, who is she? The kid's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um which is they just needed a player two and i guess that was like their i, I guess, I guess their option like, was a kid and they didn't want to have like the kid shooting government agents and make, make them turn into little little balls or whatever the fuck happens <laughs> to them. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's it's kind of weird but um but it's always nice when a game from this era lets you play it with someone else and uh the soundtrack here is really good. Like, really, really solid stuff. Uh, it's by this guy named Alistair Brimble, who is just this amazing, prolific games composer, uh, has done tons of games. The soundtrack for this one is very, like, spacey and, like, vibes-heavy. It fits very well with the um, aesthetic and with, like, the narrative. And as far as I know, like, this doesn't have anything to do with the, like, with Stephen King's story, right? Like, that's about, like, a... Like pan killing someone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, sorta. It's the the original short story is like steeped in this Greek mythology that um reveals itself in like 
odd ways, you know, mm. throughout throughout the story, which is very short. It's only like 10 pages or something. And um, the movie has virtually nothing to do with any of that. Virtually you know? nothing. Yeah, no pun intended. Um, it is it, it's it's so unlike the short story that Stephen King sued to get his name taken off of the movie <laughs> and and one. Uh, and then they didn't take his name off on the cover box when they shipped out the movies to like rental wow. places like Blockbuster. So he uh, sued him again. Uh, and I, I think he said that he made more money off of that than any other deal he's ever signed. Amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, he uh, he's uh, not a fan of that one. Um, but the I mean, movie the- I would I would highly recommend you see there is nothing okay. quite like the 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 lawnmower man. It is fucking I mean, it's bananas. kind of like a flowers for Algernon kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Handled the movie, with all, the, for sure. all the handled with all the tact and dignity that you would expect from, <laughs> from an early nineties yeah. movie that's heavily reliant on terrible CGI. It is sure. Yeah. It's it's a mess, but uh, a really fun one. Um Yeah. It was definitely that like beginnings of the obsession with vr because uh younger people might not know this but i feel like you know we had the the oculus uh rift and there's been like later generation devices that came out in like the mid-2010s but in the 90s everyone was talking about virtual reality Mm -hmm. and like it was terrible like basically all it was was an extremely bulky headset that you put on your head that let you play Sonic the Hedgehog really up close to your eyes, or it was the Virtual Boy, <laughs> which is just to this day Disastrous. basically Nintendo's greatest humiliation. Yeah, mm. I remember <laughs> in this era. I remember in this era where you, I would go to the mall and there would be like VR uh, yeah. game things set up, like. It, you know, in the middle of the walkway where they'll usually be like, nowadays it's like, fix your iPhone screen or buy mm-hmm. this, you know, this probably unlicensed, you know, t-shirt design or whatever, these kiosks in the middle of the mall. Um, or, you know, win this car, you know, that kind of thing. In that area, right, right. they would have they would have these VR uh, things set up where you can spend like $10 and, and put on this these crazy VR glasses. And I, it was never worth it to me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm, if I'm going to pay $10, I'm going to do a ride or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh but yeah, it was the, this VR thing. Man, I just don't know. Like Apple's got their they announced their VR headset which is essentially going to be more of a augmented reality kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I'm just like you look so fucking stupid, you know, in, in those yeah. things. And and I think that I'm like didn't they learn any lessons with Google Glass? It's like if you're going to like have to put on some fucking weird thing on your face, Nobody, you, in no matter what uh, studies you've done that said people think this looks cool, it, it's always going to turn into a joke, and uh, and you're just never going to see people out and about wearing this kind of right. thing. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I but I, I will say that the Oculus kind of helped me get through pandemic, mm. uh, you know, because that was a way to socialize and you know feel like I was kind of getting out of just my living room a little bit. But uh, yeah, that was a very very specific outlet that that you know uh, provided <laughs> for a very specific time. I, I'm not 100 percent sure VR is uh, uh, ever going to take off in any meaningful way. So you're saying the lawnmower man was wrong. Well, they will have murder chimps in VR headsets. That <laughs> okay. is true. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that yeah is there true. is. That, that's that, where the movie got correct. That's a yeah. selling point for the Lawnmower Man merit. Is there? Okay. You will see uh, a little, a little monkey, a little chimp running around in a VR headset, taking out cops. It is uh, okay. Well, it's getting bumped 
to the top yeah. of my list. Because <laughs> it's that something sounds to see. Amazing. And if you, by the way, if you get the option, go with the director's cut. Okay. It's it's that one's got more monkey action in it. <laughs> more monkey for sure. It's longer. You're committing yourself to uh, a much longer movie for the other stuff that doesn't work, sure, but it's worth yeah. it for the extra monkey. Yeah. Well, speaking of cruelty to animals, um, <laughs> does Arnold Schwarzenegger kick a lot of dogs in The Running Man? No. <laughs> what? No. And is that like most of what that movie is about? That- the only is it just fucking... him kicking an endless series of dogs to death. I don't think there is not, a not dog a one. in the Bring Man. Like, not a one. Not a single one. But but it's, it's funny you mentioned one. Yeah, uh, maybe like there's a scene with oh, police boy. that have police dogs, but like there's not a scene where Arnold fights a dog. It's like it's a movie where he is uh, in, he is imprisoned unjustly, uh, mm-hmm. framed for a mass murder that he did not commit, and. Um, Basically, he gets brought onto this sh- this game show uh, called The Running Man, where they take criminals and they turn them loose in like this, you know, like a series of kind of themed levels. And the mm-hmm. levels are themed to the the hunters that are following them. Like there's right. there's a guy called Sub-Zero. And so his whole thing is oh, that yeah. <laughs> he goes around on, hockey, on ice skates and Arnold's got to fight him on the ice and shit. You get the idea. Um Mm-hmm. But yeah, no dogs. But it's funny you mentioned that because that's the one thing I know about that game is that uh, you just kill a lot of dogs. <sighs> you kill so many dogs. Like <laughs> there's like, you know, people, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like in games when like a dog attacks you. And you have to shoot a dog. Yeah. Well, avoid this game then. But also everyone else should because it's just not very good to begin with. But so it, it was for the Commodore 64, the Amiga and like those kinds of computers. It was Europe only. Um, ah. And it came out two years after the movie. Uh, it was developed by Emerald Software, who were only around for like three years, so they didn't make much of an impact. And there is a kind of a cool opening for this game. Uh, it has like very low resolution reproductions of scenes from the movies with like voice acting and everything. And oh, wow. It took up an entire disc, just the intro, like the intro cutscene. But the intro was so good that they used it as the demo. Like they left it running in computer stores to like demonstrate what Amigas could do. Mm. So that is this game's greatest legacy, I think, because the vast majority of this game, like the first thing you do in this game is kick a dog. Uh, and you get health back by kicking dogs so you're incentivized to. it's not just that they're attacking you you want right. to arnold recovers his like his resolve to go forward by kicking a dog to death and um basically the only other enemies in the four levels are the stalkers so you like pretty much all you do is you walk forward you kick dogs and then you run to the stalker <laughs> and you uh you can you can jump, move, kick, and crouch and punch. And uh, mm-hmm. you can also sometimes pick up objects. So you can pick up bricks. And uh, you can just pick up bricks and throw them at the stalker, which seems to be pretty effective. It's really slow. It's doing this thing that was kind of in vogue for a while in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, where they give all the characters a lot of frames of animation to make it look more like, quote unquote, cinematic. So Mm -hmm. like a Prince of Persia, although that game did it fairly well. There's a lot of games later on that didn't do it quite as well. And the problem with adding so many frames of animation is that you make everything take a lot longer. So like when you jump, instead of just launching into the air, your character has to wind up and then go for it. And uh, it's like that. 
Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's been, frustrating, frustrating uh, in the making already. As yeah. you've been describing this, I pulled up a video of gameplay for this. And uh-huh. it is literally just wall to wall Arnold ki- ki- kicking dogs. Just the only okay <laughs> up until the last level, dogs are the only other enemy in the game other than the four stalkers. In the last level, there are like security guards with guns, mm. uh, and then you can get their guns and shoot them. But uh, yeah, it's just you really slowly move forward, and because it's an Amiga game, like I don't know what European games had this very weird aesthetic in the eighties and nineties. And it comes through in different ways. Like if you ever see a game for the Super Nintendo or Genesis with like a lot of like bouncing balls or like the logo is floating all over the place. That's mm-hmm. usually a port of an Amiga game because they were just they fucking love that shit over there. But the other way, the way it comes through in the running man is like a third of the screen is just a status bar at the bottom. Yeah. With like your life. Like it's so much of the screen. And there's also <laughs> a little corner in the bottom right that just says like the running man or something. But then sometimes and this is actually really kind of funny. I think it's probably was more annoying than anything, but the game will just stop sometimes and there'll be a message that just says, now for a word from our sponsors. And this little TV in the bottom right just shows ads for a bunch of fictional products. And then it's like, <laughs> and now back to our show. Like, And that's, I, at first I thought, oh, this is what happens when you pause the game. That would be kind of funny. It's like, no, it just happens randomly. You cannot control it, <laughs> which is like a really great troll move, but like not if you want people to enjoy playing your game. Oh, yeah, that's Must actually pretty fucking awesome. That's pretty, that, that's pretty rad. Yeah, uh, I, I like it as uh, as ha- as a way that it fits into the universe of the movie. Right. You know, because this is a, a janky game show anyway. Right. So. Right. So I I don't know like that that kind of touch actually makes me yeah smile and it that wouldn't make me smile if I was in the middle of uh I got uh, Sub Zero down to one heart or something right. yeah <laughs> and he you know I, I need that timing to work out to you know where so I don't have to replay mm-hmm. the whole damn level or whatever but mm-hmm. I don't know I think that's actually a pretty fun way like I could see them making like a RoboCop game and having that same you know thing where there's a break in with some ridiculous you know dark humor uh satirical advertisement you know it's a fun touch yeah um and uh at the end of the game you get to kill richard dawson so that's cool bonus Uh, you just get to shoot him a bunch of times until he falls backwards into the little sled and then gets right dumped into the the game yeah a little bit more uh, exciting than than how they handle it in the movie because it's Richard Dawson versus Arnold Schwarzenegger, so there is no fight. Oh, it's, it's just no, no. Like, to be clear, he does not fight back. Uh, he is <laughs> just, shoot him? You, you just shoot this unarmed man uh, repeatedly. I mean, I guess if you didn't have a gun, you could just punch him, but uh, you you have to keep attacking him until he falls backwards into the thing. He won't die just from being shot. Right. Um, so it's not like a boss battle. At first, I thought it was going to be, and it's like, no, he's just Richard Dawson, the host of the Prices <laughs> Right, and you just or Family Feud or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just kill him. That's fine. <laughs> and then, then uh, there is there like a, a post video game credit scene of Arnold kicking one more dog just for <laughs> just for old time's sake, just for good measure. God. Yeah, yeah, this so, is uh, the footage is intensely ugly. This is a it's horrific, a real looking gnarly game. looking game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, the demo is kind of cool of like the the stills or like the scenes from the movie because I think they are animated actually. But the game itself really ugly. 
I mean, the consoles like the the Amiga and the ZX Spectrum and the C64 weren't like super powerful, but there were better looking games on them than this sure. for sure. So I suppose that brings us to the main event here, which is yeah. Stephen King's F13. Um, Merritt, could you describe Stephen King's F13 to anyone who's unfamiliar with it? Look down at your keyboard. <laughs> there are 12 characters, 12 keys, F1 to F12. What if this game presupposes, what if there were a 13th key? My God. Uh, if you press that key, you'll enter into a world of cartoon skeletons and cockroaches for some reason. <laughs> this is F13. It is uh, a macromedia-based CD-ROM by... Uh, a uh, company or developer called Presto Studios, who also made the uh, the Journeyman project, which was a really well-known uh, first-person FMV adventure game in the mid-90s, and Mist 3 Exile. And uh, it is squarely in that era of, like, we can do this, so let's try it. Which is <laughs> that, that sort of CD-ROM multimedia era uh, era that we were talking about where home computers are starting to ship with CD drives and yeah. you can do really interesting things with CD drives that you can't do with, uh, with floppy disks because they can hold a lot more and you start seeing a lot of interactive encyclopedias, a lot of like interactive books. Like there was a magic school bus series that I really loved when I was a kid there are like Goosebumps games. Mist is sort of in the same era where mm. you can fit really, you can use really high resolution images because they're being read off the CD. And so it's not like today where, you know, you need a good graphics card to play uh, a highly detailed game because these are all pre-rendered images. They're just being moved around and they have certain frames of animation. Um, they look kind of as if they're like being rendered on the fly sometimes, but they're not. Um so this is a collection of a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, I had something like this when I was a kid that was uh, came out a little while before, and I think it might have been on floppies. I don't remember, but it was called the Desktop Pythonizer. It was a, a yes. Monty Python version yes, of this. Yes, I had that. Yeah, yeah, where it had all these sound effects and little videos and just like little games and stuff. But this is basically a collection of three mini games. Uh, a bunch of backgrounds uh, of desktop backgrounds, as they put it, uh, <laughs> a bunch God. of screensavers, and then a collection of sounds that you can use to change your default Windows sounds, which is something mm -hmm. that when I was a kid, uh, that was my favorite thing in the world. Oh, my too. God. I, and it's like, yeah. I could still do that. I just don't care to, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, when you're bored spent... as a kid, you're like, oh, I, got, I like, and then you realize, oh, I can record stuff with this little shitty microphone we have. And I can use Windows <laughs> Recorder to do that and put those sounds on things. Oh, my God. It's yeah. there was a whole uh, probably a summer lost to me, like looking up uh, MP3 files of movie quotes <laughs> and putting yeah. them into various things. So and I would find like like really kind of obscure stuff. Like so I for my recycle bin, every time I emptied it instead of it going or whatever, mm -hmm. I had it set up to <laughs> to be. Um, uh, a quote from Big Trouble in Little China, where it's like, "You shall come out no more," <laughs> or whatever. So I did, I did so much nerdy shit with that man. That that takes me back. That that is, well, <laughs> that is a hell of an era. With F thirteen, you can. You, there's so many sounds you can use for that. 
I uh, I looked up um, uh, a bit of like kind of a walkthrough, like a video walkthrough on this, because this is something I'm very unfamiliar with. Um, although I had, uh, I, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this come with, with a, a book of or, or something? Or was this something with, holy? Uh, everything I don't know if eventual. it came with a physical edition, but it came with a digital novella of Everything is Eventual, which hadn't right. been released mm-hmm. on its own at that point. Right, that came out. Yeah, he ended up like in the the aughts releasing a short story collection mm-hmm. called Everything is Eventual without being like the novella at the heart of it. Yeah. Um, I think oh, he fuck. did. There I was another noticed, thing. I'm sorry he to interrupt, released. but I just noticed that the cover box for this game reads Control Alt Shiver. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. That's sort of the general tone of this whole package, <laughs> as we will get into. But yeah, the, in the walkthrough that I saw, it was like very. Yeah, very much the kind of like little distraction games. Like when we talk about like, oh, I'm flipping through that book of all these things. It's usually like demos or like one level of something because it's trying to get you to buy the game or just a straight up mini game and unapologetic mini game. And that's what this stuff was like. There's a whole fucking level in here or a whole mini game in here where all you're doing is smashing cockroaches. Uh, Yep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you, I think you can upgrade from like a fly swatter to a to like a rolled up newspaper or something. Yeah, you get a hammer point. later on too. Okay, Imagine for the, the really thrill. tough ones. Yeah, um, I don't know what a lot of these things have to do with CVK. <laughs> it no. feels kind of no. like a lot of them are just like little tech demos they had. Oh, totally. And it, it, it's like, like generic Halloween horror stuff. It, so there's like one in a spooky called, cemetery. There's yeah. like one with bugs. It could yeah. have been called Boo Haunted House. Like it's just, right. <laughs> like it reminds me of, yeah, of like the Friday the 13th or no, like the Nightmare on Elm Street game on the Nintendo where it's just like, oh, spooky bats and cartoon ghosts are attacking you. Oh, no. But um, yeah, so there's like the three mini games. Uh, well, two are games. One, I don't even know if you could call a game because... Uh, one is just called Feed the Fish, and all it is is like a virtual fish tank with piranha in it, and you can drop like a rhino or a crocodile or like <laughs> other animals into this tank and just watch them eat it. Um, what I don't fuck? know if anything it... happens if you wait, but like I'm also like, I don't think there's a Stephen King story about piranha, is there? No, not the, that I'm aware of. The screenshots that I've seen of this game, and I don't think I've seen footage, uh, made me think it's like, it looks like a really shitty version of the seventh guest. If you remember that game mm, yeah. um, without the wraparound story to go with it. So it's right. just the mini game shit. And there's a lot less game, uh, mini games. And also they, they look like they were designed by someone under duress. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much they were selling this for, but I can't imagine it went for more than like $20 at the time. And even that I feel like would have been, Unless you were like a diehard Stephen King. But if you were, you probably would have been disappointed that it didn't have much to do with him. Like, yeah, Hmm. so there's the bug splat game, which is kind of reminded me of if you ever played the Mario Party or not Mario Party, um, Mario Paint fly swatter game. Hmm. Uh, There's a mini game in that where you use the Super Nintendo mouse to swat flies. Uh, It's like that where like these roaches just like break out and you have to swat them. And it was really gross, but I don't know what it has to do with Stephen King. Um, Nothing. And the they, last... Yeah, they don't even tie it into Creep Show or something, you know. Right. Where, yeah. You know, Creep Show. There's a whole segment about cockroaches, you know, uh, uh, eating a, or an old rich asshole, you know, and swarming him. So I, they didn't even take that extra step to like yeah. try to tie it in with a pre-existing King thing. 
It's so weird. They probably fucking made these things. They, they probably just went to Stephen King and said, look, yeah, we got these horror mini games um, and some screensavers and some sound effects. Could we put your name on this and we'll pay you X amount of dollars? And he probably <laughs> went, yeah, that's fine. You yeah, know, fuck it. He's, yeah. Can, I, can I release an unpublished story with it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He'll throw that into the mix just to just right. to sweeten the deal. Uh, I mean, he's tri- like historically King has always been kind of interested in the ways that new technology can be used to disseminate his writing, you know? Right. And I don't know, maybe he was just like, yeah, computer games are cool. Like fucking, yeah, slap mm-hmm. my name on there. You know, I'll take your check. But <laughs> it's, it is bizarre how it has like nothing to do with any, like why, if, like if, if you knew you had Stephen King on board, why not make the mini games theme to like yeah. any of the hundreds of stories that the fucking guy like has Like it written? would be, it would be pretty easy. And I mean, these games are pretty much all the, the type of, yeah, of this early era where this, they're kind of limited in what you can do, right? Because you just have these pre-rendered objects that you either have to click on or avoid or whatever. So the third one is called Whack-A-Zombie, which... Uh, mostly features skeletons which feels like <laughs> so lazy like um but you're like you have a shovel as your your cursor you're like apparently like a grave digger and these skeletons and zombies pop out of these graves and try to throw bones at you and you have to hit them and then if they throw the bone at you you have to hit the bone and um otherwise it'll hit you in the face kind of like an old light gun game where like enemies <laughs> right. throw knives and you have to shoot them out of the air uh, but then there's a banshee that spawns, which looks like a ghost from the Casper movie. <laughs> from the like, it just looks like a cartoon ghost. It's bizarre, huh? Well, you'd think that like if you're gonna do, you could do a King mini game thing and actually like have some fun with it. Like I'm picturing like just rip off Frogger, but have have that be Gage Creed. You know, mm. as he's trying to cross the highway, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, you could you could have fun with with something, uh, something like that. And it kind of blows my mind on twofold. There's two things where one speaking to what Scott said before is that King has been very open about like, I'm going to write a play. He wrote a musical with uh, uh, T-Bone Burnett and uh, John Mellencamp. It's like he's mm. he's. He, he's kind of like always interested in that he wrote a, a damn, he was interested in writing a damn calendar at a certain point. Like he, he, uh, that's what, uh, uh, cycle of the werewolf started off as it's like, it blows my mind that he hasn't done, uh, like writing for a video game where he hasn't written thing something specifically yeah. for a video game. And the other part of that is it blows my mind. There aren't more IP, right. you know, Stephen King IP games out there. Um, it seems like an absolute no brainer. Yeah. Um, and I wonder weird. if he, the, the, the video game industry isn't worried, interested in it, or if he's just not interested in licensing that stuff out. So. I don't know. I mean, I can imagine certain King properties mapping onto a video game. You know, we've talked in the past before about how the dark tower would really, you know, lend itself to an RPG, like a, like a fallout style mm-hmm. thing kind of, yeah. um, but there aren't like you're not going to get a shining game. You're not going to get mm. the stand or it or, you know, like I guess you, you could, could probably do an it game and you would just, do an you game. know, cycle yeah. between the characters. And then, you know, you're 
I don't know, fucking hiding from Pennywise or running away from him or whatever while he's, I don't know, appearing to you as different kinds of monsters, I guess. But it is weird because like, I think the perception a lot of the time is like, I mean, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of games based on books for the most part. Um, Yeah. Even today, there are some, um, they're mostly fantasy as far as I know. Um, Like I think there, there were games. um, The Metro games are. Yeah. The Metro games. Um, There was a, the Witcher, mm-hmm. Pillars yeah. of the Earth. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are they're mainly fantasy based. And so maybe the assumption is that like people who play games aren't interested in in books. But it does seem weird because like Stephen King is still like, you know, him and George R. R. Martin are like the most recognizable uh, names in American sure. literature today. Maybe it's just that like people see like, oh, King stuff hasn't done well. Like when in transmedia, like King movies have always been sort of like hit and miss and like, so they're not willing to invest the huge amounts of money. Like, I'm just wondering whether the, the companies who would have the financial wherewithal to be able to do this, to get the license, don't want to take the risk or don't see it as being worth it. Right. And uh, the people who would be willing to take that on just can't afford uh IP. Yeah. Right. Or, the, or they could just do something similar to King. Like Alan Wake is just straight up a Stephen King story. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so <clears throat> if you had an idea like, well, this is how like an it game would play, you could also just not bother with the Stephen King element. Right. And make <laughs> yeah. it kind of like it. And it would be kind of like Stranger Things or whatever the fuck, you know? Right. I, I could. And then you don't have the risk of. I don't know, like um, fans saying that you've changed the 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 text or, you know, it's not it's not faithful enough to the source material. You're not having to, you know, do a payout to Stephen King. You know, that's probably a consideration. I don't know. It's it's a good question. You know, um, yeah. I, I don't think it's terribly surprising, though, given the the options that they would have to work with. And especially well, I, what? You know, a lot of the a lot of these titles could be mapped onto adventure games, but adventure games really aren't like popular right anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. Makes me so. I guess the the real surprise here, more than anything, is that he hasn't taken it on himself, or he hasn't been approached by yeah you know, some AAA game, you know, company or you know superstar developer or something to come in and say, hey, come in and write a video game for us, write a horror game for right, us. And, yeah. you know, kind of in the way that, you know, Guillermo's been courted, you know, for, for a while. And, sure. you know, and uh, you know, it feels like that that would be a natural uh, interest to him. Uh, I, I don't see Stephen King as a gamer. He's not like John Carpenter. Where right, he's just yeah. Playing on, <laughs> yeah. Spending, playing spending Destiny, his, his yeah. uh, golden years and, you know, playing NBK, you know, 2K8 or whatever, you know, it's like he's he's a guy that values his time. And I uh, if you value your time, being a gamer is uh, the worst fucking possible thing <laughs> you can do. Um, but he uh, but I do think that he is, as Scott mentioned, he's very fascinated by new tech and new ways to right, disseminate yeah. new ways to tell a story. And I could see a Stephen King video game, say, you know, like a you know, Naughty Dog or some crazy giant, like prestige, per, you know, a uh, uh, developer 
comes to him and says, Hey, we want, we want you to look at these story centric games that we've done. We want to do like, can you imagine like a last of us style game, but written by King, you know, Mm -hmm. but a a whole new original thing. I think that that could be a like legitimately an incredible uh, thing if done right. And if he, you know, if he had any interest in doing it, you know, I don't know. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. We got to ask him about that. uh... If we get him back on the show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll remember. Um, we'll definitely maybe not forget that. about it. And he'd be yeah. like, oh, you're right. Um, the only things that F13 really has to do with Stephen King at all. I mean, there's, yeah, there's the novella, which I found the original press site for this game. And it's really oh, funny yeah. because they like brag about like they, they use the trademark logo everywhere in it. Um, and it's like <laughs> the, the patented uh, virtual bookmark. And it's like, so you can save where you are in the book and then come back to it later. Like that's, <laughs> that's okay. Um, wow. The screensavers are kind of cool. Uh, there's one where it's like a cartoon Stephen King with like a big head typing <laughs> on a typewriter. And then there's like a little computer screen and it generates random stories. Uh, like it makes little random Stephen King stories. <laughs> I guess just based on like, it probably just pulls from like a, like a few different set blocks or whatever. Sure. But, uh, and I don't know how long they are, but it's kind of neat. Like, I'm like, okay, that's sort of, it has little sticky notes that are like jokey, like references to things like, oh, remember to get dog food or like just it would be funny if the stories that the uh, digital king wrote were one of three and it was like um dropping a rhino in a fish tank uh, <laughs> smash bugs you know they were the just man themed. who smashed the bugs yeah well the grave digger versus the banshee yes <laughs> well it's unfortunate that the the world of stephen king game adaptations is not is not stronger and and hopefully we will live to see uh, someone do something a little more explicitly king or you know as we've been saying uh maybe actually get him involved at some point um until then this is all we got and that's uh that sucks but what can you do we've had time to get over it uh <laughs> merit thank you so much for for joining us here today uh and and taking the time to go through these games and tell us about them no small endeavor um where can people find you what are you working on next you know what are you it's self promo corner go for it yeah i um god so uh, i had that land party book coming out i think pre-orders are closed but hopefully there will be retail editions so if you search land party merit k you'll find more information on that um i've been writing a lot lately uh not uh, the sort of writing about games that I was doing in my my previous job, but uh, writing fiction, actually. And uh, I've just been posting it mainly on my website, which is otherstrangeness.com. I've submitted a few stories to publications and had one published earlier this year. Um, But I'm just having a good time writing stuff and just putting it out there for people. Um, Neil Gaiman saw one of them and uh, really liked it, which was oh wow, cool. oh, sweet! <laughs> uh, it was cool as hell to be like take that immediate like gratification. I'm like Fuck oh yeah. shit, I'm gonna save print this out and tape it up whenever <laughs> yeah, I think no, I'm not very I'm gonna, good at this. I'm gonna tell um, everyone about this for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've just been doing a lot of writing about you know like little short stories, horror stuff uh, about you know cursed media or um, 
just the weirdness that can happen on the peripheries of everything. Or Arnold life. Schwarzenegger kicking dogs. Arnold Schwarzenegger Ooh. kicking dogs. That is the title of my next piece. Uh, that is going to be out by the time you listen to this. Uh, also, I'm writing a short comic for Marvel, which is cool. They just announced that a couple days ago. It's uh, Howard the Duck's 50th anniversary. So they're putting out a, a one-shot what-if uh, issue, and I'm writing one of the stories in that. So I don't know when that's out, but keep an eye out for that. Uh, right I love Howard the Duck. I think he's a very fun character, and uh, that was very cool to be asked to do that. So Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really rad. Well, yeah. thank you again so much for being here. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Merritt K for joining us for a little bit of a wild card episode there. Like, this mm-hmm. is slight break from our format but not really kind of honestly it kind of just felt like a regular episode to me while we were doing it uh, folks we're gonna have we to do about... some weird shit to keep this show going that's the truth <laughs> that's we true. can't keep doing it the same way all the time so you're gonna get some you're gonna there's gonna be some curveballs in the main feed from time to time i think it's the only way that you know, we can't we there it, it just won't make sense the other way Right. Like you like do sure. you, how do you feel about this? Uh, I do like doing these random things and I guess we'll see how I well, And again, I say random, but it's like it's really not all that far removed from our normal format. So we're just no, we're now just, talking about video games adaptations versus a movie adaptation. It's you know? Stephen so. King shit. That's the thing. I think we're like. I think we're so, you know, I'll speak for myself. I have been thinking about the format of the show so rigidly that it never even occurred to me to do something <laughs> like like this until somewhat recently. Like yeah. I always had the the idea for this, but it, for this episode, like since we started and I talk about that on the show that, you know, this was a, an app I was trying to put together for a long time. Um, but I always imagined it as a bonus app. And and I I, I wanted it in the main feed because I want to I, I do want to see how people react to it. It's a break in formula, but Maybe we're maybe we're being foolish to be slaves to our own formula. You ever think of that? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I definitely I think there's a lot of freedom there. If you listen to most other Stephen King style or formatted podcasts, you know, there's they're a little less rigid with format mm-hmm. than, than we are. You know, they'll, they'll oh, do totally. deep dives and they'll spend multiple episodes and one book and go deep into the, you know, the text and stuff. And and, uh, you know, I think that Shout there's out room. To our friends at the Losers Club. For sure. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that there's room for us to expand beyond just one celebrity uh, and one title. And uh, if you guys agree, let us know. You can uh, let us know what you thought of this one on Twitter at at KingCast19 or sorry, X. Now you can visit us on X while that still exists. We're going to be going down with that ship. Um, uh, Or you can do even uh, let's see the better way to reach out to us is to go pay us to be on our patreon go to patreon.com slash the kingcast and if you're in our gunslinger tier you have access to our discord and you have a, that's a direct line to us you can just you know mention us there and say hey we really like this and keep doing more or hey no this sucks bring back the old format we'll we'll listen either way so uh uh so yeah you sound manic right now oh have I'm you so- had coffee have you had coffee today? No, I, I have had a ridiculous amount of Coke Zero for this time, though. So maybe it's all hitting me at the uh, same time. Yeah, that caffeine's hitting you, baby. I know. Get, you just that told caffeine the, rush. Well, you're like, come give us money to be on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> that was in hey, there. Sometimes you need to change change out the uh, 
the the energy of the outros just like you got to change the format of the show baby so you know what i i know right before we recorded this i was complaining to you about how fucking like busy we are for the next few weeks (laughs) but i really want to do um uh a patreon pledge drive yeah before the end of the year and I, I, what I would really like is I want something that we can do on camera with audio. Okay. Yeah. Um, that would go on for hours and, <laughs> okay. and that would be a bit of an endurance contest. And I think that, you know, we, we do this to, to raise awareness of the Patreon and to maybe bring in some new subscribers who wish to see us punished. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sign me so, up for that punishment. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, maybe it's watch all the Children of the Corn movies end to end, all Oof. of them in one go. And every 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 step of the goal, you know, that we set mm-hmm. is another movie. You know, so right. like you know, we watch as many as 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 new patrons that we bring in. Right. Um. It could be watch the Dark Tower movie six times oh, back Jesus. to back. Yeah, I mean, you're like, really, yeah, you're really wanting this to hurt, is what you're saying. I think that uh, there's no pleasant version of this. We're not going <laughs> to put the idea out to the people, and they're going to be like, eat, eat starbursts for four and watch hours. The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like no one's going to say that. It's all going to be very. I, I'm, I'm getting into the spirit of it ahead of time because I know okay. what people are going. to I understand how you know humanity <laughs> is. But um, I think we should do something like that. And I'm interested in hearing from the listeners um, if they have any ideas. You know, it's just the two of us over here. So and we're fucking dummies. So mm-hmm. sometimes we need a little help. And, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious uh, to hear like how these people would punish us if they <laughs> had to. Um, and I'm not like I won't I won't wave away something that sounds really awful, you know. You kind of want it to be off. It'll be more entertaining if it's like an absolute ass beating. Yeah. So. I agree. Anyway, I'm Let's bring this on you on the air, but I, I think we should do this. I think it would, yeah. it, it would be fun. Maybe do it around November ish in. I'm sold for yeah. whatever, whatever the 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 punishment is. I'm just going to be like Kevin Bacon in Animal House. Please, sir. May I have another? Let's do it. We could do a thing where. This would be kind of I don't know how you would set this up, but it would be kind of fun to do like, you know, you have like mini goals, right? And it's like at each stage, like we get 10 new patrons or whatever. Yeah. Then they get to vote on what movie we watch and commentate. And then we get another 20. Then they get to pick another one and so on and so forth. They, They could program a film festival for us. Oof. Yeah, no, I'm I'm already dreading the the choices, <laughs> yeah, but right, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's let's figure I it am out. Tying a noose as we speak, but I'm willing to do it for the patron, patron, Patreon. Yeah, so it's been if you're three gonna years, I don't understand the terminology, <laughs> the the difference. Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, great, great idea. And if you want to be in on that action, then just head over to Patreon now and sign up before before all the craziness is like really hits and then you can be part of the voting mass to punish Wampler and I. So make yes. sure to head on over to patreon.com slash the King cast. Um, yeah, that's what we should call it. The pledge drive should be called fuck the King cast. Fuck the King cast. <laughs> <laughs>
Don't fuck the king cast, but fuck the king cast. Yeah. So. Well, maybe fuck the king cast. I don't know. <laughs> hey, what, whatever. Just bring in the subscribers. Um, but yeah, join. <laughs> jo- but, but join. But join us over there for that. Uh, you that and uh, every Friday you get a, a, a bonus episode that's exclusive or at the very least very very early access uh, on the Kingcast. So if you're listening to the the show only on the main feed you're only getting half the show so if you want more of our nonsense and there's trust me there's plenty of it over there make sure to head on over to patreon.com slash the king cast is that is that it well we still need to tease what's happening next week i kind of jumped the gun and hit the the patreon uh, shit been, first because yeah, there was a good segue for a, yeah we've been talking for a while um we what am i teasing <laughs> uh eyes of the dragon my man we are talking oh, yes. eyes of the dragon next, next week next week yeah. in the main feed we are talking eyes of the dragon with a first time guest uh if you happen to be at fantastic fest last year you might have seen me uh perform in a live script reading with uh this particular uh guest it's a she it's a lady a female a, a, a woman Eric, you're from, you know, uh, yeah, I've heard um, of them. yes. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so she comes on to talk eyes of the dragon, a title we rarely get to discuss on the show, but that both Eric and I love dearly. And, uh, also to, to talk up a certain Stephen King related short film that she has recently made. Um, yeah, very, very, very fun episode. So look forward to that folks. Hell yeah. So tune in next week for some Eyes of the Dragon talk and then uh, head on over to our Patreon and get ready to to punish me and Scott, I guess, in the next couple in the next few months. Uh, help fuck the King cast. Fuck the King cast over at the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- see how good this is. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Into All it. right. We'll talk All to right. you later, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>